Tuesday edition of Smith and Jones right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. All right. Let's dive into it, Jonesy, because I know there is still a lot of angst over last night's tilt at Scotiabank Arena between the Toronto Raptors and the Oklahoma City Thunder. We've got plenty of audio for you. We're going to play some clips and whatnot over the course of the next 10 or so minutes. We have Jared Greenberg from NBA TV joining us at the bottom of the hour. Um, but here's my opening statement to you, and then we can dive into all of the intricacies and all of the finer details and the minutia from last night. And I will give you the patented Eric Smith preface of saying, you should not be pleased about last night. There is no sugarcoating the fact that the Raptors lost a disappointing game. You heard, and you will hear, if you didn't already hear, from Nick Nurse and Fred Van Vliet and others in terms of their disappointment, their frustration, their um, angst, and how displeased they were with the results and the overall effort and showing in last night's game. So if they're upset, you should be upset. Anybody should be upset if they're a Raptor fan. I will say this, though. However, and the however is, and I've said this a couple times already this season, I think that we need to walk that fine line between being a fan and being a fanatic. And I am as guilty of, of this as anybody especially what we just spoke about in recent days earlier this week when it comes to the NFL and the Buffalo Bills. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jonesy. Going into this season, most people, most people, even the most optimistic people in Raptor land, thought that this was a 500 team, give or take anywhere from two to five games, maybe. Give or take two to five games a 500 team. So at best, they're going to be maybe a 46-ish win team. At worst, maybe a 35, 36-ish win team. So they're going to hover a couple of games below, a couple of games above, or right at the 500 mark most of the season. They're going to be scratching and clawing to get into the play-in, and you're hoping for maybe get into the play-in, maybe even lock down you know, the 7th, 8th seed, and then all bets are off. Let's see what comes come playoff time. But I think most people, to an honest man, honest woman staring in the mirror, would say, this is not a championship contending team. We want a team that's competitive. We want a team that's exciting. We want a team that's in most, if not every game. And we're going to let the chips fall where they may. I present to you that a team that is currently without three of its top six guys, that has been with its leading score for a while now, and two of its starters, whether it's Birch as a starter or Chu as a starter, for a couple of weeks now, they are exactly what they thought we would be or what we thought they'd be even when they were healthy. And they've continued to stay on that path even when banged up with multiple people out of the lineup. Now, all that said, they go and lose a game last night to the Thunder that means now you've got to come up with a surprise win over a team that you maybe don't think you were supposed to beat or going to beat on paper in black and white. And that's where it makes things that much more difficult. And I've said to you, in fact, I even texted it last night, I always look at the five-game mark. You never want to dip five below 500 because to me, then it can start ripping off in a hurry and it can drop down real quick in a hurry. Last night you get that win, which you should have had. You're 12-13. and 13. 
You've got a Knicks team coming to town that has certainly cooled off after their start, their hot start. And then you've got a Sacramento team fast approaching as well next week that you've already taken care of. You had a chance to get above 500. Now you just yeah. got kicked back instead of one below, three below. And it puts that much more importance on that for game on Friday against the Knicks, that game on, on, on Monday against Sacramento. Because as much as you've got a lot of home games coming up and only three road games before the new year, take a look at some of the opponents that are coming up. This was the softer part of the schedule in terms of the opponents. You got a lot of good teams coming, and now your margin for error, your wiggle room, is not as wide as perhaps it might have been had you got the win last night that you should have had. I turn it over to you. Yeah, no, inconsistencies just plaguing them. Uh, I just look at they shoot almost 60% in the first half and then go 5 for 27 in the third quarter, score 12 points. Shea Gilgis-Alexander outscored the Raptors himself in the third quarter. He had mm-hmm. 16 in the third quarter. Um, and that's those are the inconsistencies you get with, A, a team that's, that's kind of beat up or, or injured and not have doesn't have their regulars because it, it happens at both ends, giving up 33 points and then scoring 12 at the other end. And then having, you know, a, a part of a team that's, and I wouldn't say young in the true sense of the word, but um, let's say in its infant stages of trying to become cohesive. So even though you've got some, you know, guys who had their hands on the trophy and Fred and Pascal and a championship coach and Nick, this is a new ball game uh, in terms of trying to put it all together and put the pieces together and teach some of the other guys what it is to win. You know, we're, I'm sure we're going to hear the uh, talking to our technical director, Lance, and producer Mark Boffa will hear a, a Fred Van, Van Vliet clip about inconsistency, and that's what it is. And that's that's a big part of it. And, you know, the inconsistency rears, it he- rears its head with um, not doing everything that you're supposed to do all the time defensively, uh, not being in the right spot and, and making all the plays consistently on the offensive end. Uh, you know, not knocking down wide open shots when you get them. Little things like that. Those are, you know, you just, uh, they looked like they were on easy street in the first half. Like I said, up 10, got the lead up to 14 or 11, 12, 13 at some point, shooting 60%. You're like, this is a win. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all it takes... All it takes is a, a, you know, fall asleep for a little while or just not be consistent and do the things that you're supposed to do for a little bit. And it comes back to haunt you. And, and you know, Oklahoma City's a, a young, energetic team. Yeah, they got beat by 73 the other night, but they've won two in a row since. And you talk about this loss to Oklahoma City. Is it any different than the loss to Detroit <laughs> where you were ahead and you – you know, you figured, okay, this, this, all right, just ride this out, be consistent, play it out, and you're going to get a win. And the same thing happens. You, you fall asleep at a point in the game, they overtake you, and now you're scrambling to get back against a team that's confident. So, uh, yeah, that one, I mean, that should have, you know, people are looking at the schedule, and I, I don't know if we did it here on air, but I certainly looked at the schedule and said, hey, if you get Oklahoma City and you can, you can get to the Knicks. You, I know it's one game at a time, but you have the potential for a five-game winning streak, and it's gone now. Like yep. <laughs> You've won two, and now you're trying to figure out 
what happened in the third quarter when you scored 12 points and and on five of 27 and and allowed 33 to a team that and all the other numbers they're they're 11 three-pointers a game they made 17 last night one off a season high they only score they're they they average under 100 points they were up 106 107 people might say well it's five or six points well you lost the game by one point you know that and that's those are the things that you have to lock in and, and pay attention to. So uh, that's, that was a tough one to take. And, and even more heartbreaking, considering Champagny's tip uh, went in right at the buzzer. I just, I just thought that last play got blown up. Um, and and it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't yield a good look. All you want at the end is a good look, a good shot. And, and they didn't get that, but it looked like Champagny had rescued them. Okay, let me let me ask you this then, Jonesy. And yeah. this is this is pro sports, right? Monday morning yep. quarterback, second guessing the coach, second guessing plays, playing that woulda, coulda, shoulda type game. That's 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 pro sports. That's talk radio. That's being a sports fan in general. As great as Fred Van Vliet has been over the course of his career, as great as he's been this season, and even last night, he was. People are like, "Oh, what's up with Fred Van Vliet? Why is he struggling so much, folks?" Did you not realize that one of the best defenders in the NBA was locking him up the entire night? Lou Dort was wearing Fred Van Vliet, or Fred Van Vliet was wearing Lou Dort, depending on how you want to look at it. It wasn't that Fred was awful, Fred was a step slow, Fred was disengaged. No, Fred was busting his tail out there and couldn't get open half the time because Lou Dort was his shadow. And he finally came alive with some big shots in the fourth quarter down the stretch that nearly, nearly saved the game for the Raptors. And, oh, yeah, by the way, was still trying to find other ways to impact the game with his rebounding, with his ball movement, with his assist, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't think it was accurate the way that he was being portrayed as some sort of stiff last no, night. No, no. Now, not that said, not that said, and I believe somebody wrote me this on Twitter, and actually I think our, our, our guy Chad, who's the statistician, on the TV side of things. Chad Martens, yeah. He mentioned that Alvin, and I, I maybe you guys talked about it on the radio as well, Jonesy, that Alvin mentioned this on the Sportsnet broadcast last night, right before the play. You want to make sure you get that shot off with enough time to get an offensive rebound or a tip in something, whoever's taking the shot. Don't be putting it up at the buzzer. Give yourself an opportunity for that offensive rebound for that second chance. Now, again, hindsight being 2020, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't think it was a great look for Fred on the last shot of the game. He dribbled into a lot of traffic. The defense sucked in. He's arguably the smallest guy on the floor. He's got three, four guys coming at him. There was no angle at the rim. He hoisted it up really awkward just trying to get it off. And he's lucky that Champagny was able to get a fingertip on that, albeit a tenth of a second too late. And that's where you wonder, would it have been better to put the ball in the hands of somebody else that can either have a little bit more height to be able to extend over top of the defender, Jonesy, or should Fred have drove and kicked, much like the Thunder had just done on the previous play when Shea sucked in defenders and then kicked out to an open Muscala. Again, it's a Monday morning quarterback, hindsight 2020 type of analysis, but it wasn't a great look, and even the timing of the shot wasn't great because you didn't give yourself a chance to really get another look or to give Champagne or any other offensive rebounder that much more time to do anything with that shot. What do you think? All right. Let me, let me dive into that. Sure. Uh, first off, first off, you always 
try to get the hands, the ball in the hands of your best player and let him make a decision. Right. I thought the play uh, got blown up uh, with the spacing. Uh, and I got to tell you, it's a good thing Scott Foster wasn't refereeing because I, I, I'm pretty <laughs> it sure was close. it was close. It was close to a five-second count, man. And, and, and uh, give Oklahoma City credit. They were, they were up into Toronto, made it difficult to get the ball in. Um, we'll never know because we weren't in the huddle what was actually supposed to happen. I don't know if there was just some misdirection or they were looking for some guys because Fred did give a couple of long looks to guys who who weren't open. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's it's hard because Fred has breakdown ability. You want him to kind of break his guy down and see if he can get something with the drawn kick or see if he can get into the lane. But there wasn't there wasn't a lot of time. And you, you, if you bring, you try to reset and bring a screen up, then they double it and they take it out of his hands, and now, now you're scrambling with not a lot of time. So I, I agree with you. It wasn't. It was not a great look. It was not a great look. And I, I give, I give uh, Oklahoma City some credit for blowing it up. And this is, sure. you know, this is always the dilemma about calling a timeout because the defense gets to uh, be set too, and coaches they watch other teams' last second plays and tendencies and know what they want to do um but but give okc some credit for fred i mean i like the fact that he tried to get to the basket and tried to break the defense down uh it it just wasn't happening it just wasn't happening and i i just didn't like the way the play started out i i think something was amiss there um whether the you know oklahoma city uh got into cutters blew up screens uh i just it it didn't it didn't look right and it it turned out um that they got a really difficult look and almost got rescued but i I, that that idea of getting the shot off with enough time to get a putback is is always there i just don't think the raptors had time to do that they were so far out when fred uh got the ball i mean pascal gave it back to him I think Pascal was still airborne. I, I, I've seen the play a few times. I think he was still airborne when he got it back to Fred, like, or Fred just kind of jumped back in bounds. It was almost uh, one of those where he wasn't established in bounds and it could have been turned over, uh, you know, being called out of bounds. But um, give OKC credit and, and give them credit for the play before Shea Gilgis Alexander getting into the lane and Muscala spacing out. Like he. Well, this is exactly what we're talking about, though, right? Yeah. They did it yeah. and Raptors didn't. Yeah. Like this is, is that not the, the exact point, basically? That is, Oklahoma execution. City did exactly what we're talking about. Toronto woulda, coulda, shoulda done. Yeah, yeah, the execution, and there it is. That's that's what it's all about, especially late in the game. Now, listen, at the at the risk of you know completely beating a dead horse on the point, and I'm not I'm not against Fred VanVleet handling the ball by any means. He has saved you more than he has hurt you, in my humble opinion. In fact, he saved you more than he hurt you even last night. As much as he struggled all night, he saved you in the fourth quarter with a couple of monster threes and coming alive offensively when it mattered most. Now, some will go, yeah, but if had he hit that technical free throw earlier or had he had, say, Siakam not missed the two free throws, yeah, there's a lot of, hey, what did we talk to Bill Polian about yesterday? Or what he spoke to us about, perhaps. What what, what did he call it? Uh, Critical efficiency? Yeah, 
Yeah. Something and like that? Was now, that his term? Now, I, I believe so. And now he's looking at it from the eye of management slash coaching. But he's not wrong that Josh Allen made some poor throws. The officials you know, missed a call. Dawson Knox dropped the ball. Well, last night, Siakam misses some free throws. Van Vliet struggles offensively. Maybe he didn't get off the shot in time. The second year, there's a lot of critical things. So as much as people want to point a finger at Nick Nurse, I'd be Nick Nurse going, hold on a second. I'm without OG Ananobi, my leading score, and have been for a couple weeks. I'm without both of my centers right now, let alone one of them. I'm without both of them right now. And I'm looking down the bench going, hmm, okay. My second unit hasn't done a whole lot this year on either end of the floor, but certainly offensively. I'm getting railed for playing my starters too much. Well, what do you want me to do? I, I, I don't think I got a lot of options. And then last night, he doesn't get many options to the point where he even talks about it after the game. And again, we'll play it for you in a second. Saying, I'm not getting anything from these guys. Like, and, and then we want to say that it's Nick Nurse's fault or he's not creative enough or it, he, he's got to come up with something else. Man, I, I, I don't know. I look at the lack of execution from the players, and that to me is a bigger story than the coaching or anything else. And if it comes down to, as we just said, Oklahoma City made the exact play that we're talking that the Raptors would have, could have, should have done, is that the players not executing properly or what was drawn up? And I got to think and assume that it was more so on the players. And maybe, hey, Oklahoma City Jonesy did something defensively that, as you said, blew up the play. But then as a player, you got to know how to react. You got to know what the what option B, C, and D is and what the counterpunch is. And what I was going to say to you was, again, the Monday morning quarterback analysis. I don't know if Gary Trent has the range that Van Vliet does. I think he does, but I haven't really seen it. But I've seen Van Vliet pull up from, or spot up from, 25, 27, 30, 32 feet. I know you didn't need a three. You only needed a two. But given Fred's big shot abilities and big shot making abilities, and history's proven it, going back all the way to the NBA Finals, let alone what we've seen from Fred over the years, even including last night, big shots, in crunch time, down the stretch, etc. I wonder if he would have been better as a guy who's ready, locked and loaded, and it's Siakam driving kick, it's Trent even driving kick, it's somebody and Fred as the guy spotting up as a shooter as opposed to Fred being the guy, even though he's your ball handler, trying to break down the defense and either shoot or kick because well, he's got he, the stones and he's shown the ability to make those shots. And, and and I agree with that, Eric, but but here's the thing that um, it goes to the first thing I said when we started our discussion here. You put the ball in the hands of your best player and let him decide. And, uh, you know, it might get into the hands of Pascal or Gary Trent Jr. Although, you know, I could handle it if it was I could I could see that if it was Pascal, but it might get into somebody else's hands and your best player never gets to touch the ball. So coaches, you know, they're, and it's, it's always the, the dilemma. You run some misdirection, you get it to somebody else who then gets it to your best player. Well, what if it never gets to your best player? And, and a lot of coaches, you know, subscribe to that philosophy. It's conventional wisdom. Put the ball in the hands of your best player. He may not take the shot, but at least he's had a hand in the decision-making. And I, I look, I, I see what you're saying. Um, but, You've got to get the ball in somebody's hands then, and then they've got to break somebody down. 
who else is doing who's your best breakdown guy <laughs> right fred fred <laughs> who's 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 one of your best decision makers fred fred so to take a chance and and i see what you're saying e and it's not wrong it's just it's philosophical it's philosophical. Oh, and I'm not even saying that it was wrong. I'm presenting no, 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 options, no. ideas, I, right? I, yep. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you're right. You're right. And, I, and, that's, and that's the point I'm trying to highlight. It's, it's philosophical that if, if Fred takes a tough shot and you get killed, you put the ball in somebody else's hands and they go, oh, how could you not give the ball to Fred, <laughs> right? So, so if the shot doesn't go in, it's a lose-lose, right? If it goes in with either one of those uh, philosophical decisions, you're brilliant. And, and, and what it comes down to is, you know, just sometimes when a shot goes in or a play is made, uh, it's, it's all presented in a different light. So uh, I was tough, though. That was a tough one to swallow for the Raptors, especially being up 10 uh, against a team that is young and building. And, and, you know, you had a 60, like I said, you shot 60% in the first half and, all of a sudden, it was poof. It was gone in the third quarter. Um, breaking news while we've been talking here, as it relates to the Toronto Raptors specifically, the Raptors were scheduled to practice today. No surprise, considering the re- result last night and the fact that they play tomorrow against the New York Knicks. This update came in four minutes ago from Raptors Public Relations. We are canceling today's practice due to health and safety protocols. The decision was made out of, an, out of an abundance of caution and further updates will be provided when necessary. Sham Sharania from The Athletic uh, tweeting right around the same time that the Pacers and Raptors have canceled their practices today due to health and safety protocols and an abundance of caution. Now, I don't know if the two are linked at all. I, I can't imagine that they are considering the length of time that has passed since the Raptors last saw the Indiana Pacers. It's been a couple of weeks, but maybe just mere coincidence. Probably that is the case. But as it uh, relates specifically to the Toronto Raptors, Jonesy, uh, this is the first time this season that the Raptors have had to deal with this. Knock on wood, it's happening around the league to a number of teams, most notably right now the Chicago Bulls with, I believe, four players uh, sidelined due to health and safety protocols, including DeMar DeRozan, Matt Thomas, uh, Kobe White, and others. And we will find out, again, uh, the, the, the update from Raptors PR, simply saying that uh, it was done out of an abundance of caution and further updates will be provided when necessary. So that's all I know, folks. That's all Jonesy knows. We're reading it word for word as it happens. So I don't know how that may or may not impact tomorrow's game against the Knicks regarding who is or isn't available or if anybody is unavailable. Because, again, it's an abundance of caution, and we will find out, I suppose, later on today what exactly that means. Yeah. Um, it, it's crazy. Uh, everybody's dealing with it, Eric, and as we said, it's not going away, right? It's it's here, uh, and we're going to have to live with it. Um, you know, COVID-19 and, and all that it all that it gives and takes in, in, in sports and in life. Uh, it's, it's here. We're not getting away with it. Well, um, again, that's the uh, latest news regarding the Raptors. And if more information is available, we will get it to you as soon as we possibly hear. But uh, dealing still with the fallout from last night and the one-point loss 
to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, we said we'd play a couple of comments for you. Let's uh, bring you some of those comments right now. We'll start maybe with Fred Van Vliet because he mentioned the word that you mentioned at least a couple of times, Jonesy, inconsistency. So here is Fred after the ball game uh, on that very topic. Seems to be our pattern. Play well, play really bad, get yelled at, play hard, and do it all over again. So uh, it's disappointing for sure, um, but it is what it is. You know, you got to show up to work, do your job every day, and it's not about box score stats. It's not about scoring. It's not about awards. It's not about individual accolades or individual play. It's about winning ball games and doing things the right way. And we just can't seem to sustain that long enough to win against teams that we must think we're better than. But um, it doesn't work like that in the NBA because they were the better team tonight. There's Fred Van Vliet. Uh, Fred last night, 6 of 20 from the floor, 19 points, 9 assists, 8 rebounds uh, for Van Vliet. Tried to find other ways to impact the game when the scoring wasn't happening. And again, as I mentioned, Lou Dort was all over Van Vliet for most of the night. I've heard, Jonesy, that um, to, to maybe Fred's point about you know uh, this being the pattern, play well, struggle, get yelled at, come back, play well, struggle, get yelled at, and, and trying to break, break that cycle. I've heard that you know, this year, and it's probably a product of, hey, younger team, inexperienced team, uh, trying to get the most out of guys, et cetera, that, that just kind of, um, and I, I think this is probably par for the course and should be this way. It'd probably be this way for any team, but practices are certainly a little bit longer and a little more intense, and there are, uh, there are louder words spoken than perhaps there have been in recent years because there aren't as many vets and there isn't as much experience, and the leash is now. Uh, shorter, not longer, uh, making for uh, things to be a little bit more, uh, as I say, intense in Raptorland than it has been, re- been. Excuse me, in recent memory. Well, you're teaching, right? And yep. and uh, and that's what it takes. It takes a little bit more. It takes a little bit extra. Um, uh, you know, I played for some coaches in in uh, university and in in high school under very good coaches, very good programs that at the beginning of each year went back and treated it like players had forgotten everything and know nothing in training camp. <laughs> There's a famous line from, I think it's uh, the, the, the tear-jerking movie, Brian's Song, where the coach comes in and says, gentlemen, this is a football, like <laughs> the Chicago Bears. <laughs> like this, and But the, the, the joke, all joking aside, um. You know, we did, you know, drills, defensives, and, and we watched training camp. We've been in a training camp, you know, defensive drills, getting your stance and full court, full court shuffles, uh, you know, corner of the baseline and sideline to the elbow, then then on an angle, then 45 degrees to the to from the elbow to the sideline and, and the and the center line and then turn and run, you know, run, glide, run, like all the stuff that you, you teach kids in bitty ball about defense. Here are guys making millions of dollars in training camp, and they're going back to it. So yeah, it would, it would, uh, it would be par for the course to be able to teach these guys. And you know, we I've even heard that in some places the vets can sit out. And we know that I know that a guy like Goran Dragic was like, no, 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 like when he was with the team in training camp, no, 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 vets can sit out. No, I'm I'm in. I'm going to do this. Because I need the refresher too, and I need to show the young guys that it's important to me too. So all those kinds of things. But um, 
they're just they're just kind of sputtering right now. The Raptors. They're uh, look. You earn your record. You you are what your record says you are. But they're two or three woulda coulda shouldas away from being. You know, instead of instead of eleven and fourteen, fourteen and eleven. Yep. You know, yeah. And 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 that includes the ones that you got that you could have lost. Like they got that one against Orlando. Well, they could have lost it, but they 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 lost they, the Cleveland game. They led for you know forty seven minutes and what thirty seconds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, last night, same with D- Detroit and OKC. You're up double figures, and you drop those games. So it it could the record could easily be turned around, but it's not. And there's no delineations or or, or or demarcations or 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 notations beside wins and losses. That's what the record is. So you got to do better right now. And that's I'm sure that's the way they're looking at it. Well, Nick Nurse, uh, pretty much on that topic about simply not executing right now well it was kind of um indicative of of us just kind of being in second gear all night doug i thought we just weren't ready to move and run we weren't pushing the ball hard everything was everything was um jordan we kind of got you know that first quarter everything was pretty easy right shooting shots wide open whatever and and uh they they don't start going and we don't um we don't um execute very well for one and then we go to the same thing we go into a streak of missing a bunch of wide open ones that when we do when we do get it into the paint and kick it out and missing a few layups and playing really soft at the rim yeah <laughs> i couldn't have said it better myself i i suppose jonesy and and you know you heard he didn't mention doug that of course uh ref, in reference to uh, a question asked by doug smith of the toronto star um paraphrasing but nick also kind of saying last night none of the guys had it right like talking about the second unit and hence the reason he was searching for answers and i gotta assume and we touched on this last night in our little post game wrap-up that we do you can find it on twitter and instagram our our quick little wrap-ups our vlogs that we do after the game justin champagne is going to climb up the charts real quick because he showed last night the type of hustle and energy and the attention to detail that Nick is looking for, and if he's not getting it from Mihailuk or Bonga or Banton or anybody else, he needs somebody to step up, and that's why he's logging so many minutes for his starters, because I just don't think he, he believes in a lot of the guys he's got right now, and they're going to have to go out at some point and, and sort of regain the coach's trust and prove it again, and prove that they can be uh, in that rotation and be relied upon to do their job and play their role. Hey, um, they get paid too, right? Every guy on the bench gets paid, and they all want to be in there. And I, I, I like what uh, I like what Champagne does. We talked about it in the preseason. Uh, we see him with nine oh five. He's tough. He's around the ball. Uh, he really understands his own game and what he brings uh, to the entire unit. Uh, he made. He was two of two last night. And both of his field goals were tough field goals. One was a th- was an and one inside going to the basket. He's a basketball player. He's he's he, you know he's he has all the skills. Does he have a position? No. He just understands how to play the game. And for a guy that size to be the leading rebounder 
at a at a big school on the college level tells you a little bit about his toughness and his willingness to to go after the ball. So don't be surprised if you see more of him. I, I would not be surprised at all. All right, we're going to step aside for a moment. When we come back, we'll uh, not only look at the Toronto Raptors, but we'll look around the rest of the league as Jared Greenberg from NBA TV joins us on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to the show, Smith & Jones, wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. Again, the latest information coming about 10, 15 minutes ago. The Toronto Raptors, and for that matter, the Indiana Pacers as well. But uh, at least as far as our primary listenership is concerned, the Toronto Raptors announcing due to an abundance of caution, health and safety protocols, the Raptors have canceled their practice today. More information will be provided uh, if and or when necessary as the Raptors uh, get set to host the New York Knicks tomorrow coming off a loss last night at one point loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder and we bring into the conversation right now host and reporter from NBA TV and of course the NBA on TNT as well Jared Greenberg Jared always good to talk to you my favorite radio show in Canada what's up E and Paul how you guys doing I'm good Jared we're good man um, Jared, let's let's start with the health and safety protocols for a second. I'm going to look at this big picture. I'm keeping my fingers yeah. crossed. I don't want to be the guy that's laying down the jinx here. And with due respect, right. I know things are treated a little bit differently stateside than perhaps they are in Canada. And that's not to say that we don't have our own issues here as well. All that said, we have seen in the National Hockey League some games already postponed and right. teams having to stay sidelined for a couple of games, a handful of games, um, because they've had bigger outbreaks on their team. So far, again, fingers crossed, the NBA has had a few guys here, a couple of guys there, even the Chicago Bulls with four guys right now. They continue to play, but, yeah. you know, this is just opinion. Obviously, I know you don't wear a white lab coat. You're not a doctor. Do you think we continue to manage this to the point where it stays on track, or do you see it going sideways as we get into the new year if the cases continue to rise? You know, I, I I feel like it's going on two years when I've stopped getting in the guessing game just because I never would have, I, I you know, I never would have ever thought we would have had a stoppage of play the way we did, and I never would have thought we'd go into a bubble the way we did. Um, you know, I think I, I'm not going to rule anything out. I'm glad the NBA is doing a little bit more testing uh, now than they were at the start of the season of players. Uh, I'll tell you this, though, from from having lived in the NBA bubble for three months and having talked to Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, about this um, and and hearing other doctors talk about this, testing does not, and again, I'm not wearing a white lab coat here, as you said, E, but testing does not prevent or stop necessarily the spread of COVID, right? It's it's keeping people um, vaccinated. It's keeping them away from one another, Right. Like the, the test itself is not responsible for w- what happens with this virus. And and the test is only as good as it is in that instant that you take the test, not when you get the result. Right. And that's what I think we have to often remember um, about COVID-19 is that this thing changes second by second. And and if you know, I'm glad to hear that the, the Raptors and the Pacers today are being extremely careful. Um, I'm glad we have not had a single game postponed yet this season, but it wouldn't shock me at all if I hear tonight or any time in the coming weeks or months that we do have games postponed. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, Jared, I, I said to Eric, it's 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 kind of our new world now, and we're living with it. It's 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 not going to go away. Uh, it's you have to account for it. There's going to be it's going to have an impact. So uh, I'm I'm with you. It's nice to hear that we've been able to get through it without games postponed. But um, you know, how long? I mean, how long do we go? How long are we able to do this? And you know, I just think of the ramifications. I mean, you work for a big network. Like, could you imagine, uh, you know, Golden St- on, on Saturday or on Friday night, a, a, you know, a Thursday night TNT game postponed, a Saturday right. ABC game postponed? Like that's those things. I mean, you can't do anything about it. But at the same time, um, as I said, it's something we're going to have to live with. Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right. And you know, let, let's be let's be frank about what you're saying here, Jonesy, and that is that you know you're talking about a lot of money lost, right? And and the Bingo. NBA wants to, you know, the NBA wants to avoid, along with its TV partners and and a lot of other partners too, losing any more money than they already have. But I think the one thing we've learned about the NBA, who who set the precedent back on March 11th, 2020 is that we're not going to mess around with people's health and we're not going to mess around with people's safety. And it's not just the players. It needs to be anyone who is in the arena or associated or potentially could uh, be negatively impacted. So that's what I commend about the NBA and Adam Silver's leadership has done a great job with this so far. And, you know, as you said, Jonesy, not only is it it something we're going to have to live with for the, um, you know, foreseeable future, but it's also something we're still almost two years into this thing, minute by minute, learning new aspects of it, right? So it's not, it's not even as, okay, yeah, we, we've got two years under our belt and, 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 and we've, we, we can talk about the experiences that we've learned there, but there's still new things that are happening. Speaking with Jared Greenberg from NBA TV and the NBA on TNT. All right, Jared, uh, you know, kind of on that topic, I'm going to find a segue here. With the Chicago Bulls okay. dealing with COVID health and safety protocols right now, again, three, four guys out of the lineup, including DeMar DeRozan, they lose last night to Cleveland. I'm sure the lack of depth plays into that a little bit, but also playing into it, the fact that Cleveland's been pretty damn good this year. Maybe I can ask you a two-pronged question on both teams because both have sort of jumped up. We thought the Bulls would be good. I don't know if we thought they'd be this good sitting in second in the East. And Cleveland, they were hot, they dipped a bit, but they're still above 500 and trying to stay in the mix, and they certainly are a big surprise what they've done this season. No, there's no question. And then, listen, um, you obviously are not going to give anybody an excuse for a loss these days because it's not as if one team is just dealing with the COVID or injury issues. It's it's every team, right? So it almost is a level playing field for all 30 NBA teams right now. Uh, but but I, you know the the Bulls have had some surprising wins this season. You're you're right. Uh, he, like I, I never would have thought that that the Bulls would be the two seed. I certainly thought they'd be much better. And I've been really impressed with their supporting cast with how they've been playing. Uh, and as far as the Cavaliers, yeah, like I, I don't know that this is sustainable for them just because of how young they are. And and, and typically, uh, young teams tend to get off to a little bit of a better start and then start to tail off. Uh, at, during the 82 game marathon, but but they have been ultra impressive, and and, and I commend you know JB Bickerstaff and, and that whole organization for what they've been able to do when many people wondered if they would be contending for the top pick in the draft this upcoming season. Well, I I think Jared, there's part of me watching them. They're they're kind of playing old fashioned with with two bigs. And oh the yeah, way they're playing. Love it. And 
Yeah, and even their even their other front line guy that's perimeter in Markkinen is is long and and athletic. So I give right. JB Bickerstaff some credit, and and Darius Garland has been terrific. And we know this every year. There's a team that comes out of nowhere and surprises people, and it and it and it jumps up and and becomes sustainable. And you know what? We're a quarter of the way into the season. The way they're playing, they're confident now. Who who knows? It 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 could be Cleveland, but Jared, I, I guess I wanted to ask, and Eric and I are taking the temperature of everybody that comes on here about the team, um, about the Lakers, the team that everybody thought was, you know, they've got Russ and LeBron and Anthony Davis. Now they got, you know, three of the top 75 or 76 players. And, and yet they're still sputtering. I just, your observations on them and what it might take, because we're we're seeing Frank Frank Vogel's chair start to get really really warm right now. Yeah, that, that's really unfair because you know two years ago uh, the Lakers had the best defense and they were doing things right. You know, if 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 it were me, I would look above Frank Vogel's chair to to the organization that put this roster together. Right? Uh, you know, a coach can only do so much, uh, and and Frank Vogel has proven not just in L.A., but his time in Indiana. And, and you know, he, granted, he struggled in Orlando, but again, look at, the, look at the players, that everywhere he's been, defense has always been great. Not good, not, not above average, but great. And the year they won the title, defense, great. This year, defense, not great. Why? It's not because of Frank Vogel. It's because of the pieces that are assembled on that roster. And I, I got to say this, too, to point this out. You know, yeah, everybody plays 82 games and all. You know, there's 41 on the road and 41 at home. But the Lakers have gotten off with a pretty soft schedule here to start the season. And, yes, they've had some challenging games. But things are about to heat up for them come in January. And, and I'm just curious if that's going to be a good thing for them because it's going to get their attention and they're going to fall into line. Or it, it's going to make them crumble. Um, there was a big debate uh, on the TNT show the other night. Charles Barkley says there's no way the Lakers are a top four seed. Kenny and and, Char- and, and Shaq said, yes, that they're going to be top four seed. Listen, I'm, a, I'm on the fringe right now. And the only reason why I'm on the fringe about the Lakers being a top four seed is just because I don't know that there is a fourth best team in this conference right now. There has been a seismic shift in the NBA where the power has gone all the way to the Eastern Conference. Yes, the two best teams in the league are in the West in Golden State and Phoenix, but, but the next several best teams that I would pick are all coming out of the Eastern Conference right now. Brooklyn, Chicago, Milwaukee, Miami, Washington. You know, I'd take them before I would consider taking some of these teams in the West. So I think the Lakers, while their, their schedule is incredibly challenging coming up, they may actually benefit by the fact that there's no one ready to challenge Phoenix or Golden State in the Western Conference. Speaking with Jared Greenberg, to that point, Jared, let me stay in the West then for a second. Utah, they've won five in a row, 17-7, yep. and seven, still three back of the Suns for a second, three and a half back of that top spot behind Golden State. You just maybe answered the question, but I'll ask it anyways. Can they challenge? Can they stay in the mix and, and make a run at Golden State or Phoenix? Or are they kind of like, hey, kind of what Utah, unfortunately, has been for a long time, a really good team, but right. a team that's not good enough to ultimately crack through to win a title? Yeah, you know, I think the big thing with them is that they've always been built kind of for that regular season model. It was kind of like what Milwaukee was before Milwaukee switched things up last year and made themselves postseason ready and then ultimately won a title. The biggest thing, the biggest takeaway I take from Utah during this five-game win streak is is not just the way Donovan Mitchell 
uh, is scoring at a high clip. He's got, what, five straight or four, four or five straight games of 30 points. But his efficiency. You know, I, I've always said the last couple of years, and I'm curious if you guys agree with this, the most important player on the Utah Jazz has been Rudy Gobert. And that, that, that's fine. But if they want to win a championship or they want to get out of the Western Conference at the very least, Donovan Mitchell needs to be their best player. And because so often he shoots so inefficiently and puts up, you know, 30 points on 26 shots or 27 shots, that ultimately hurts them. And in the playoffs, you need to be an efficient basketball team, uh, not just be a volume shooter. So, so I, I, I want to see this, this run that Donovan Mitchell's on be sustained a little bit longer before I, I feel comfortable saying Utah can contend at the top of the West. Uh, you know, Jared, it's funny because I think I think we have seen Utah fans with the attitude, uh, and and a lot of teams get there. I think back to the sixty win Atlanta Hawks teams under under Mike Budenholzer, where the fan base says, "Listen, uh, do your thing in the regular season. We know it's going to be okay. Uh, wake me up when we get to April." And I I just feel that's the that's the sentiment in Utah right now. And you, I mean, you, you know, expouse and express well, some of it there. You know, it's, it's, Jonesy, I mean, Jonesy, you guys, you guys in Toronto are the perfect case, right? Like before right. you won a title, how, how many years in a row were you guys among the best teams in the East and you had the makeup of a team, you know, during this 82 game marathon in the, in Toronto with, with Lowry and, and DeRozan, where you're saying, we can't be beat. I mean, we, we got everything, you know, we have Valanchunas in the middle. Who's good enough. We have, you know, we've got some young pieces that are coming up and we've got the two vet all-stars. We're fine. Well, well, ultimately, you, you guys learned, and, and it's not to anybody's to knock anybody or to criticize anybody, but you have to learn from your your setbacks in the playoffs to learn what gets you to the next level. Regular season basketball, I think, is incredibly valuable. But what I think a team like the Raptors learned in 2018-19 when he won a championship was the process of winning is more important than actually winning. And what I mean by that is you've got to learn translatable skills over the course of the first 82 games that you could put in play in the playoffs. And you can lose some of those games over the first 82 games of the season, but as long as you take something out of that that you can translate tangibly to the postseason, until you're able to do that and understand that, you're not going to win a championship. I I hear you loud and clear. I hear you, and I'll tell you that yeah. that applies to, um, or or perfectly answers maybe some of the folks today, even Jared in, in Raptorland, that are saying, "Man, I don't want to be a 500 team. I don't want to be a treadmill team. I, you know, it would have been better instead of just kind of trying to to, to stay around 500 and maybe scratch and claw to get into a play-in or a, or a final seed. I'd rather just bottom out." And both Jones and I, for years, have been saying, "No, no, no." There's a process here, and and winning, or at least staying competitive, does more for the development of a young player than. Listen, man, I would hate to be on Orlando or Detroit or Houston right now, where you know, yeah. or Minnesota for years. How many times has Minnesota had a top five, top ten lottery pick, and they've been terrible for years, for years? Yeah. Uh, I mean, just look at Philadelphia, and and I've been screaming at, Bingo. at the hilltops Bingo. for years about about this. You know, it, it's 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 easy to tear down a franchise. That that's easy, and, and quite honestly, I don't have a problem with that in many cases. My issue is the accountability for the build back up, right? Like, and, and Philadelphia now has talked about for like three years that the process is over. 
That's BS. It's not over, guys, because the whole reason the process was instituted in Philadelphia was to become a perennial contender. They have not gotten out of the second round of the playoffs, guys. And, yes, they have Joel Embiid, and, and part of Ben Simmons was part of that. Now they have a Ben Simmons problem. And because they focus so much on two things, just those two guys and not enough development around them, they're left barren right now. And they have a guy who can contend year in and year out for MVP and Embiid, but right now they're a team that's, what, about 500, you know, or, or three games above 500 and, and don't look like a serious contender. And the other part of it, guys, which I'm so glad you mentioned this about the Raptors not botting them out, you don't understand the mental toll it takes, not just on the players, but the entire organization. When you go into a season or into a game, when you accept losing, and then all of a sudden you draft the right guy or you trade for the right guy or you sign the right guy and you have to flip the switch and say, all right, forget about the last two or three years when we've said that's okay that we've lost 50 or 60 games. We're just going to flip the switch and start winning and expect you day in and day out to care about that. It doesn't work that way. It has a psychological effect, and Philadelphia is still feeling that whether they want to admit it or not. Jared, we're up against the clock, man. We could have gone for another 20 minutes, if not an hour. We'll have to get you back again soon. Appreciate the time, as always. Thanks, Jared. All right, it's great. Great to chat with you, fellas. Enjoy it. Take care. Be well. There is Jared Greenberg from the NBA on TNT and NBA TV as well. Folks, if you like Smith & Jones, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well as we will continue with more Smith & Jones throughout the week.